just as uh, putting everything in perspective of where we are and what I'm attempting to do in terms of evangelism training, you've noticed I've not gone into a lot of how-tos or you should use this method. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Uh, my philosophy and approach to evangelism is that when we understand the principles, when we understand the gospel, and we understand our role versus God's role, then um, our methods can emerge out of our different styles, our different giftings, and, and that sort of thing. Although I suppose the one method that I strongly, strongly encourage is using the Bible itself, uh, having uh, extended conversations with people. I don't mean, mean by one long conversation, but just multiple conversations, taking people through a book of the Bible or reading it together. Uh, so I, I do endorse a method, but uh, I don't necessarily uh, embrace a formulaic approach. Um, and so that's just a little bit about my uh, philosophy and approach to evangelism. All right, our first session, we, we reviewed a mandate uh, for proclaiming the gospel, for telling the gospel, for sharing the gospel. The second session, we looked at a biblical foundation for evangelism, which is, as I indicated for me, was just tremendously liberating. It took all the pressure off of my back because I felt like I needed to pro produce conversions, and that was so totally wrong uh, and uh, so totally beyond my ability. And when I understood that my role is to share the gospel, uh, to love people, to engage people, and to share this good news with them. So, uh, and hopefully it'll be very liberating for yourself. Last week, we looked at the biblical gospel, and we kind of answered the question, what are the individual components of it? I'm going to, you know, sort of extend that just a little bit today uh, after I do a brief introduction in terms of engaging others. Uh, and then next week, we'll focus on some ideas about engaging other people and how we might, uh, how we might do that. And, uh, and in, in, as part of that, we'll look at six styles of evangelism that Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel had put together some years ago. And I, found, I find that very useful as well. As a matter of fact, I'm going to post both of those handouts. I'm not going to hand them out next week because there are too many pages of them but I'm going to uh, post the, uh, uh, the little piece uh, that Mark, uh, Mark Middleberg and Strobel have put together. Uh, it'll be out there. I did get permission to use that. Uh, it's published by Zondervan, and as long as you use less than X number of percentage of the pages in their book, you can use it in your, for personal use and that sort of thing. And so I uh, I stayed within the number of pages for this uh, this book. So you can, I want to encourage you this week uh, to print off at least the first three or four pages of the six styles handout. There's a questionnaire you can go through and answer 36 questions and then score yourself on a little grid and it helps you identify what your dominant style is. Uh, I, I answered those questions this week. I've done it before. It took me about 10 minutes, so it's not a lengthy process. And it'll help you um, identify whether you're a, you have a direct style or an intellectual style or a testimonial style, invitational style, serving, you know, th that sort of thing. Uh, and for some of us, and, and for me, I, I kind of, 
I'm, I'm a combination of two styles. And so you may find the same thing, but I think it's useful as you seek to be effective in sharing the gospel with others and uh, with uh, engaging people for the, uh, with the gospel. So this morning, we're going to, uh, I'm going to start with thinking about evangelism in our environment. Uh, then I'm going to use uh, a little grid that uh, Will Metzger has in his book. It's on page 35 and 36 of my of my book, it's kind of a grid that compares a me-centered gospel with a God-centered gospel. We'll do that as a bit of an exercise, but as I, as I read through those, and if I were sitting where you are and someone else were up here reading what a me-centered gospel is, how would you respond as a God-centered gospel? I would get about a half of these or about a fourth of them because we just don't naturally think that way. But I want to cover that because I think it's, uh, hugely important uh, as we uh, try to equip ourselves in terms of doing evangelism. Um, so that's what I'm going to attempt to accomplish today. Oh, I'm sorry. One final point I'm going to do is I'm going to do kind of an analysis of some popular gospel tracts and uh, kind of talk about the strengths and weaknesses of them. I'm not a huge gospel track fan, although I, I use them. I, I still uh, use them. Uh, but I think it's important to understand what they can do and where, where they come up a little bit on the, on the weak side. Uh, and there are some significant weaknesses there. So that's what I hope to uh, accomplish today. Uh, so let's, uh, let's begin by thinking about engaging other people and what our, what our environment uh, is all about. And I've got... Two timelines here. I should have lowered that one a little bit. But the first one up here is thinking about evangelism in the 50s and in the, the 60s. Uh, and at that point in time, a very large portion of our population attended a church uh, and were familiar with the gospel elements. In contrast with today, evangelism today, uh, this is kind of the bridge diagram, which is a good thing that you can use. You could draw that on a napkin at a coffee shop and uh, find out where people are. But evangelism in the 50s and 60s had fewer barriers than we have today uh, in terms of uh, coming to faith in Christ. Uh, there's a gap that separates man from, from God. Uh, the cross, of course, bridges that gap. But uh, in the 50s and 60s, kind of the, the idea went, you know, Tell the gospel, make a decision, and the, and the person uh, embraces that or, or, or rejects it. But uh, they, at least knew, they at least knew the gospel elements. Today, some of the barriers that sta uh, stand between people and, and God are that you know, many think Christians are weird. Uh, and <clears throat> some of us probably are weird, but uh, that's one of the barriers. And they... And, what that says is that we need to get to know them. They need to, need to get to know us, that we're not quite as weird as we might seem. Uh, another obstacle is that Christianity is irrelevant. Uh, we have such advances in science and uh, technologies that uh, you know, man no longer need, has a need for, for God. God was just a crutch, and so Christianity really has become irrelevant. Uh, and then an another obstacle is that Christianity is not true. The Bible is not true. You can't trust it. You can't believe it. Uh, so we have that obstacle to overcome. 
And then a fourth uh, obstacle that uh, has emerged in a very powerful force over the last number of years is that Christianity is evil. It's an evil, oppressive system. Uh, and we see that having a lot of political power in our, uh, in our day. And so we even have that uh, to overcome. There are a lot of forces that are working against uh, Christianity and trying to silence our voices. Uh, that's uh, a major uh, issue that uh, we see playing out in this cosmic battle uh, that we're in. And so uh, back in the 50s and 60s, when many of these uh, gospel tracts began to emerge, I think they were more effective during that time period. But I even used uh, a particularly popular track, The Four Spiritual Laws, uh, during that time period. I was became a Christian my junior year of college. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, had a ministry there. And so one of the first things I had put into my hands was uh, Four Spiritual Laws. They had a little training program on it. And I shared it with people. I would give it away and... Uh, uh, and, and discuss it with my friends. Um, I even had one unusual event. I'd had a little minor surgery when I was around 22 or 23 years old, had a little bone spur removed from my leg, and I was in a semi-private room with a, a guy at that time. I thought he was a really old dude. He was probably 45 years old when I reflect back, but he had had some knee surgery or something like that. I was in overnight, uh, and some of my friends had visited uh, me while I was there for that short period of time. Uh, maybe it was two nights, I can't remember. But anyway, um, when I left, I left a little four spiritual laws in the room. And so I came back to visit this guy the next day. We had not discussed anything about religion. But when I walked in the door, he was just bubbling over with, here's this little four book, this little gold book that you left. He was trying to hand it back to me. He thought I had... Uh, accidentally left it, but I left it for him. He said, you know, I read that little book and you know, I just, I invited Christ into my life right then. And you know what? He came into my life and I got down right here on my knees. Now my other, my one leg wouldn't, I couldn't bend it, but I got right here and I invited Christ into my life. And as far as I know, it was a genuine conversion. Uh, he lived in a town about 80 miles away. And so I never uh, had any opportunity to follow up. But it was one of those amazing kind of kind of events. Uh, but when I think about also today, the three uh, unsaved gentlemen who are on my Wednesday morning Bible study, if I had taken one in particular uh, that I'm thinking of, if I had taken him through the four spiritual laws or any of the other Romans Road or uh, Evangelism Explosion, I'm convinced he would have prayed the prayer. Uh, but he wouldn't have been sincere because it's taken us, as we've gone through Christianity, explored with him multiple times uh, with uh, the uh, study through the Gospel of John and other things, uh, it's taken him about this long to realize that and admit that he's lost, that he's not saved. He doesn't want to repent uh, and he doesn't want Christ to be his Lord, but he likes hearing the Bible study. So uh, we're going to keep driving home these doctrines of the Gospel praying for him and hoping that God will do a miracle in his life. But he would have been a good example where a gospel tract would not have been very useful. Uh, and I'll show you uh, how that can, can often play out. So um, anyway, 
let's move to thinking about uh, a me-centered gospel versus a God-centered gospel. Any comments or questions so far on that? <clears throat> okay. Um, I'm using uh, from this book, Tell the Truth. Uh, he has facing pages, a little grid, a little table. Uh, far left has... Uh, you know, our view of God, different aspects of God, a view of God, view of humanity, view of Christ, and view of response to Christ. And then the, uh, the, the, the two columns are me-centered versus God-centered approach to sharing the gospel. Um, I'll give you a few me-centered and God-centered, and then I'll give us a me-centered and see if you can articulate the God-centered. Like I said, th this is not a real easy exercise uh, to do. So under me-centered, the view of God, point of contact with non-Christians is love. God loves you. God's authority, ownership is somewhat blunted or de-emphasized. Under God-centered, the point of contact with non-Christians is creation. God made you. God has ownership rights over your daily life and destiny. So you can see the contrast between, it's a very subtle approach, a subtle difference. Uh, under a view of God, the next item is love is God's chief attribute. Uh, under God-centered, justice and love are equally important attributes of a holy God. So there's a balance. And as we looked at the attributes of God last week, uh, you know, it, it's important to keep in mind that God is all of his attributes in perfect harmony all of the time. His love and his justice are in perfect harmony. His righteousness and his grace and all of those, all of his attributes uh, abide together in that perfect, uh, in that state of per perfection. All right, under a view of God, me-centered, God is impotent before the sinner's will. Under God-centered, God is able to empower the sinner's will. And then the persons of the Trinity have different goals when planning and accomplishing salvation than when applying it. And under God-centered, the persons of the Trinity work in harmony. Salvation is designed, accomplished, and applied to the same people. So in conclusion, uh, under me-centered, God is a friend who will help you. And under God-centered, how would you describe that? Under me-centered, God is a friend who will help you. And under God-centered, how would you describe that? God is... He is sovereign. Yep, has to do with his sovereignty. David? He is Lord, yes. Both of those are, are right. God is a king who will save you. Okay, under view of humanity, fallen yet has the ability or potential to choose the good and, and God. That's the me-centered. And under God-centered, how would we describe humanity? In contrast to fallen, yet has the ability and the potential to choose the good and God. Under God-centered, we would describe that as completely dependent upon God. Another way, Marcia? Sure, sure. I don't think it's saying chosen. I don't think this is touching on or specifically saying that.
that. It's saying that what, man, what, what our human ability is. And I think it's addressing the fact that we are dead spiritually. And so we need God to open our eyes. Well, I think the point of, of this is that as I'm engaging someone, what I need to know and how I need to treat this person. Uh, I need to treat them as that they don't have the ability to raise themselves from dead to, to, to spiritual life, that they are, they are in a sort of spiritual darkness and they need God to open their eyes. And my role is to speak the gospel to them because that's what God uses in opening their, eye, opening their eyes. So I need to I need to understand where they are in their in their fallenness. It's really emphasizing their fallenness. All right, let's see. All right, under a me-centered view of humanity would be needs, love, help, friendship, and a new life. A God-centered view would would say what needs salvation. And a little bit more specific, I need a new what? A new heart, a new nature. I need to become a new creation in Christ. Um, the me-centered view of humanity would be makes hum we humans make mistakes. We're imperfect and we need forgiveness for specific sins. A God-centered view would have a slight variation on that. We are sinners. We are, we're born sinners, yes. We are rebels, and we've committed treason against, against God. I, I, I haven't just made a few mistakes. Uh, all right. Uh, in conclusion on the me-centered under view of humanity, humanity is sick and ignorant, whereas a God-centered view would say humanity is what? Blind? I can think of a few other. Dead? And lost. <laughs> Very good. You guys are doing better than I would be doing out there. <clears throat> All right. Me centered under view of Christ. Christ is a sa saves us from failure, sins, and hell. And the God centered is Savior from sins, sinful nature and hell. That's a very, very minor difference. Uh, under me-centered view of Christ, he exists for our benefit. A God-centered view would say he exists to what? To be glorified, yes, for his honor, and to rescue us, I suppose. All right. Uh, and here's one that I think the, uh, the many gospel tracts uh, share this weakness. Uh, Me-centered view says emphasizes his priestly role as savior, whereas a God-centered view says emphasizes his his kingship, and yes, his kingship. His all three roles, right? Prophet, priest, and king. Uh, that, that's where the emphasis needs to be. 
Uh, in conclusion, Me Center says an attitude of submission to Christ's lordship is optional for salvation. The God-centered view would say it would be necessary, essential for salvation. So you get kind of the... Uh, if it seems like I'm doing an advertisement for this book, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a great little handbook as we as we think about evangelism. Oh, I can't turn it around. I have to turn it over. I want to talk a minute now about uh, kind of reviewing gospel tracts and uh, some of their strengths and weaknesses. And I've, I've written over here the, the roles of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And just for review, for assistance, I put the eight elements of the gospel that I, uh, that I tend to use over here. And I have the strengths and weaknesses of gospel tracts and uh, some, some contrasting elements there. Uh, I think it's important to note that, uh, that gospel tracts can, can play a useful role. They generally provide a good summary of of the gospel uh, and most of them are are pretty good if i could make at least one edit to the four spiritual laws i would not have it starting with god god loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life i would have, have it starting more as god is creator owner and will can be our father and will be our judge uh, but most of the elements of the gospel are, are included in it so the strengths that they can they can serve as a good overview um, they can lead to a more in-depth conversation uh, about the gospel. And I think they're very useful uh, from that standpoint. Uh, weaknesses are, uh, they are a little bit light on sin. They're a little bit light on repentance. Um, certainly, most of them seem to be light on the lordship of Christ. Um, and also, uh, most of them completely ignore the cost of following Christ, which I think is an important uh, feature of any gospel uh, presentation. And one of the glaring weaknesses in my mind is that there's a drive toward make a decision. Pray the prayer and make a decision. Some of them take you through all of the elements of the gospel with a few verses, which are usually good, uh, and then they tell you that if, you, if that's what you believe, then you know, here's a suggested prayer, if you pray it in sincerity, uh, you need to pray it in sincerity. And then the next page or the next deal is welcome to God's family and assurances of salvation. Um, I had an experience a few months ago with the gentleman I was telling you who took him so long to finally get lost. It reminded me of Billy Graham's famous expression. It's not getting people saved that's the hard part. It's getting them lost. It's hard for people to acknowledge that and recognize that. Um, but uh, uh, but he, 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 he does battle. My friend is doing battle against uh, you know, that lordship. But another believer on the call about two months ago started sharing verses of assurance of salvation. Uh, and I called my friend up afterwards and said, it's not necessarily appropriate to share assurances of salvation with our friend because 
He hasn't repented. He's acknowledged he's not willing to make a commitment of faith uh, to Christ and to put his life under Christ's lordship. So it's real easy to move into that mode uh, before, it's, uh, before it's time. So there's a, a drive toward a decision. Our drive should be toward repentance and lordship. That's ultimately where we're encouraging people to move. And I think that's a strong sign of a, uh, uh, a biblical approach uh, to evangelism. I want to hand out, I don't have enough for everybody, but I have about a dozen of these. So um, I, I want to ha have you take one if you have some interest. It's one of my favorite uh, gospel track giveaways. It's called Two Ways to Live. And I think I, the reason I like it so much is because it, of all the tracks, just passing around, of all the tracks that I've seen, it has the greatest emphasis on the Lordship of Christ. Uh, but even it needs you to help fill in the blanks and fill in the gaps, and especially with follow-up, because people uh, in today's environment can take uh, quite a long time in order to, uh, to get uh, to that point. So any questions? I may have struck a chord, uh, uh, maybe even a, some alarm in some of your minds as I've tried to analyze uh, gospel tracts, but I'm, I'm happy to take some questions or be challenged with it. Yes? Do you think that their emphasis towards the decision Yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, I, I do. Um, I think it's part of the movement that uh, occurred in the 20th century to simplify the gospel. And the motivations, in many cases, were good, I think, to enable more people, more Christians, to share the gospel with lost people uh, and help them understand it and have some, uh, an organized way to present it. So the motivation from that standpoint was pretty good, but I think, I don't, and I would be interested to know how many of these came out of Reformed theology. I, I don't really know that, uh, but some, you know, at least one of them did, and it it has the same some of the same weaknesses of, you know, brushing over it a little too quickly. Uh, so yeah, good 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 question. Yes, Todd. We need to proclaim the gospel. I think what often is missing here, and it's not a fault, it's just a factor, is the relationship. Yeah. You know, like, why should I believe you? And you get into the, you know, this is what I think, this is what you think. Yeah. I think the relationship sometimes, depending on the person, is, is really crucial. Absolutely. Todd, uh, most of my really meaningful gospel conversations occur with people I've known for some period of time. Um, that, that is absolutely true. And, uh, and Todd is talking about the relationship, how important that is in our uh, gospel uh, presentation. Uh, people need to be able to trust us or they're not going to listen to us. They need to, they need to know that we care about them. Uh, and I ran across recently in a, in a book that I have benefited from greatly, I may have mentioned this the other day, but in, in their evangelism section of the book, you know, the, uh, the book was about the, you know, God's mandate of carrying this message throughout the world, and it did a great job with that. When it moved into evangelism, it applied 
a an adjective to evangelism that I think is really not a great descriptor. And you call it sensitive evangelism. Uh, I don't really think that's a a biblical way to describe it. I can think of two two other words that I would put in front of, of evangelism. And what what how how would you describe? It? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too sensitive to sensitive evangelism. But uh, what what descriptor would you put in in front of that? Honest, yes, yes, honest. Yeah, relational. What are some others? Bold. Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Lynette is saying the relationship is a central part of that. Matt? Yeah. 
Yeah, Matt, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I want to repeat in case the, Matt's comments weren't picked up uh, on this, but Matt was talking about the whole premise of evangelism in the 70s and 80s was get people to pray the prayer because that was the measure of success, uh, and that can be actually a false measure. All right, Todd, sorry. In that context, uh, which I've done a lot in the past like that, it's just the way I was brought up, it becomes selling the gospel. Yes, it becomes selling the gospel in that context. <clears throat> yeah, do whatever you can to, to do that. I'm collecting prayers, and that way I can brag about it, and I feel, I guess I feel good about myself. But the thing that, all right, hold on. Yep, go ahead, Leslie. I was going to say, not in contrast, but I, I think there probably is a work that the Lord can do in the tracks. Yes. Much of the right? Yes. Like, it's not the way yes. Yeah. Yes. So, regardless of whether a salvation decision is made in Virginia, yeah. I think it is a tool by which the Lord has brought community to faith. Yep. That's true. And Leslie is bringing us back so we don't get too far to one side. <laughs> that many people, hold it, stop. Many people have come to faith through that. Uh, that is true. And that's why. I couldn't stand before you and say, never use them. I, I can't do that. I'm just advising you of the weaknesses and, and the strengths. Yes, David. Yes. Yeah, David is saying that uh, you know, we, we still need people to say the gospel to people and, and even challenge people with the gospel, if, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yes, I, I don't just I, I don't, wouldn't never disagree with that. But I'm just saying as a method, let's make sure we understand what we're using and what the limitations might be of, of that. Uh, did it was there a hand over here? No, OK, I would. All right, I'm going to go back to my, I, oh, one over here. Oh, yes, Liz, Liz. Who desire fellowship with us, and all of his benefits are a 
Yes. Yep. Liz is saying we need to offer all of Christ. And that's a great point. And private priest and king. And the me-centered gospel takes Christ as priest. They take his sacrifice. They don't want him as king necessarily. And that creates some real uh, disconnects. Uh, but if you've studied the, how the gospel is presented in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New, it is a balanced, integrated approach. If anything there may be a greater emphasis on sin and naming sins and calling people to repentance from sin uh, than on some of the easier uh, components up there. Now, uh, yes, a conversation I had with a friend uh, because I perceived that he was not saved, is not saved, but he attends church every now and then. Uh, and he said something uh, about the, uh, you know, not being one way to, uh, to to heaven or to salvation. And I read uh, you know, from John where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he immediately said, well, I don't believe that. Yet I'm a Christian. And the, he said it just as quickly connected together. And then I said, well, what happens when you die? I said, there's only two places. And right now you're telling me you're not going to the good place. He was very offended, or well, somewhat offended. His wife was highly offended that I would say that. Uh, but he hasn't even accepted Christ as prophet, certainly not as king. I'm not sure that he's accepted him as priest, but considers himself a Christian. So, you know, it's, there's a time, and back to my point about sensitive evangelism, um, if I were being sensitive, I wouldn't have raised those issues. Um, he knows I care about him. And uh, so I felt like I could take that risk. So back to better descriptions of evangelism, uh, two that I think of, in addition to what many of you have said, is loving evangelism, respectful evangelism. If I'm practicing sensitive evangelism, I'm not going to broach sin or your failure to repent, uh, your failure to make Christ as Lord. I won't talk about those because they might offend you. I won't take that risk. But if I, especially somebody I know, if I've established that I care about them, then I can say those things and they still know I care about them, although they might disagree strongly uh, with me on that point. Any other questions or comments? We're all learning evangelism together. Uh, J.D.? Of, of how to... <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, J.D. is saying that we are ambassadors for Christ. And, you know, that kind of leads me to another little tangent here, J.D., uh, where when I was in South America, I was in Colombia, I was doing evangelism training with, they were mostly Presbyterians from the Presbyterian Church in, in Colombia. And when I got to a point of uh, doing some contrast, if I don't understand our call in Christ, and, and 
included that we're ambassadors, I said, what do we have? And one of the Presbyterian pastors said, you have Presbyterians. Uh, and he was implying that, you know, we use the doctrine of election uh, to uh, rescue ourselves or excuse ourselves from evangelism. Uh, but that's just a false application of the doctrine of election. And when you think about what uh, J.D. is referring to, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, God has basically declared us ambassadors, entrusting to us the message of re reconciliation, entrusting to us the gospel. And then if you think about a kind of a dramatized example of that, when Peter is about 30 miles away from Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and two angels go, one, an angel goes to Cornelius, maybe the same angel, and an angel goes to Peter to get them together. If you think about it, the angel could have told the gospel to Cornelius and his family. Uh, might have even gotten a, a better gospel presentation than Peter eventually gave. Uh, but God used these angels to put Peter a believer, together with these lost Gentiles, uh, to explain the gospel to them, and then Cornelius and all of his household are, are baptized. So to me, that, that kind of dramatizes uh, the fact that the reason we have been entrusted with the gospel is that God has chosen to, to spread this light, uh, spread this gospel message uh, with humans. And uh, I've often thought if I could question God about a few things that you know, certainly there could have been a more reliable method in terms of communicating this gospel because I certainly am not always that reliable. Um, so anyway, any, any other comments or, or questions? <clears throat> I wanna, I, I've already given you some homework. I want to give you some more homework. I know you love homework. Would you take one and pass them around? We have more out on the front. Um, these are my favorite gospel tracks. Take one and just pass them around. It's the Gospel of Mark. I, I actually have five or six uh, Spanish versions, if any of you can use those. Um, and as I explained, I think last week, that there's about a dozen or 13 pages of helps for someone who's never read the Bible in here. And one great method of doing evangelism would be to hand that to a neighbor or a friend or a family member and say, take a look at this. Let's read through it together, and we'll just talk about it. And we'll do, do a couple of chapters at a time and talk about it. But I wanted, would encourage you to take a copy of it and, uh, and consider, pray about who you should give that to and, uh, and, and, and look for an opportunity to put that into the hands of someone and, uh, and offer to read through it with them. Um, uh, but you know, this, is, this is part of one of the ways that we can spread the seed of the gospel and, uh, and can engage others for it. And it's <clears throat> my view of evangelism is let's start simple and then go to the advanced. Let's just take a few small incremental steps. This is an easy step uh, because you can just give it to somebody and then run. <laughs> you can leave, the, leave it with them to ponder. Uh, and to think about, but it's a small step. It takes a little bit of uh, boldness uh, to do that. Uh, and so I would encourage you to begin exercising this uh, in, in this way. So um, anyway, next week, 
we're going to review the six styles, and then I'm going to share some ideas of engaging others. Um, there's There will be a six or seven page little paper that I've written. It's a chapter of this uh, book that I've uh, pretty much completed. And so I'm just copying it, putting in a PDF, and it, it kind of spans the waterfront. But I think it may give some ideas uh, for engaging people in, uh, in evangelism. And also, I'd love your feedback on it. I, it's not a perfect document. I'd love to be able to improve, uh, improve that, uh, that piece or that chapter. So I would welcome uh, any new ideas and suggestions that you might have. Okay, anybody have a last word? J.D., you haven't said a word today. I told you I was going to call on you if you didn't. But... Oh. <laughs> well, in my old age, I'm forgetting these kind of things. But Well, thank you. I'm glad I liked it. <laughs> okay, let me close us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this great privilege you've given us. And uh, we are somewhat timid and fearful. Lord, give us courage. It, it takes courage, and we often don't have that courage. But I pray that you would give us courage. And I pray that you would give us courage driven by a tremendous love for you and a tremendous love for other people. Uh, Lord, help us to have passion and compassion uh, on others, Lord. We, we, we want to be faithful to you. And I pray that you would help us to learn and uh, one small step at a time. And just help us all to, to be better at uh, this important task you've given us. I know I need to make many improvements in this area. And I pray that you would help me to grow and help all of us to grow. Lord, we pray that you would grant us open doors for the gospel with those who don't know you for our January uh, event. And I pray that you will uh, just give us that opportunity and give us those uh, Give us those chances. Lord, we lift all of this before you in Jesus' name. Amen.